Welcome to Rome. This is The Bittersweet Life with Katie Sewell and Tiffany Parks. Hello, this is The Bittersweet Life. I'm Katie Sewell. And today, Tiffany and I are sharing a special podcast episode with you. It's titled Stranger in a Strange Land. It's the most recent episode from an excellent travel podcast called Far From Home, produced by Scott Gurian. Scott is an award-winning interviewer, reporter, editor, and producer who's done everything from breaking news to documentaries and in-depth investigations. And now he's using all of that experience to take you all around the world. From London to Mongolia, from Chernobyl to Peru, it's a travel podcast that, much like ours, hopes to get you thinking more deeply about where you go and why you go there. And it aims to introduce you to the fascinating people that you meet along the way. So without further ado, I'm going to pass today's journey off to Scott Gurian. And as you listen, if you like what you hear, be sure to seek out Far From Home wherever you listen to podcasts. Find it and subscribe. Here's Scott. This is Far From Home. I'm Scott Gurian, and I want to introduce you to my good friend, Jamie Younger. Jamie is a fellow audio producer and the host of If You Knew Me, a podcast that features personal stories of the inner lives of women. And Jamie has a pretty fascinating story of her own about trying to fit in in an unfamiliar place. You see, Jamie was born and spent most of her life here in the United States, but a few years ago she decided to move to the Netherlands, and she wasn't prepared for just how complicated the transition would be. I caught up with her on her first trip back to the U.S. in several years, and I asked her to tell me about her journey. I was born in Colorado, and I moved around quite a bit. I lived in Louisiana and Alabama, and then I went to college in Wisconsin. And then when I was 24, I took a plane to New York City to visit a friend, and I didn't have any strings at that point in my life. I wasn't married. I didn't have children. I didn't have a job. I didn't have a lease on an apartment. You know, I was 24. And so on the way to New York, I applied for a job. And then by the time I landed, they asked if I would do an interview. So I ended up getting a one-month sublease in Brooklyn and Williamsburg. While I went through three rounds of interviews, I stayed in a sublet where the room was literally the size of the mattress, and I know that because I had to lift the corner of the mattress to shut the door at night. It was exactly the size of mattress. And I think I paid $900 in 2007 for that. So I didn't get the job. So here I was, I was like, I kind of sort of live in New York, but not really, and I've just blown through all of my savings. Now what? For Jamie, New York wasn't exactly love at first sight. Her feelings were quite a bit more complicated. The first day I think, oh my God, this is awful, horrible, I must leave. And then the next day I'm like, this is the best place I've ever been. I'm never leaving. I can't believe how lucky I am to live here. And then the next day I think, I gotta get out of this shithole. And then the next day I think, oh my God, the colors, the fashion, the bookstores, the everything. And that happened almost in that exact rhythm that I just described for an entire year, for the first year of living in New York. I mean, I probably was stubbornness to some degree that I stuck it out to just prove to myself and everyone in the stadium seats that I could do it. 
But it was also like, what else am I doing? I'm 24. I didn't have a job before. Here I am, you know. And that it was fantastic. There were many parts of it that were fantastic, which is this throbbing heartbeat of city energy that is just thrilling. She slowly moved up the ladder, getting jobs in radio and television, and eventually starting her own film production company. Overall, she spent 13 years of her young adulthood in New York from the age of 24 until she was 37. And she grew over time to love her adopted hometown. But then, just as it seemed like she had finally made it in the big city, she met and fell in love with a Dutch guy named Pete. They tried at first to do the long-distance relationship thing, but it was difficult. So after five months, Jamie made the momentous decision to pack her bags, fly across the ocean, and move in with Pete, which essentially meant she'd be starting over in a new country where she didn't understand the language or the culture. Jamie and Pete had a kid and eventually got married, and Jamie set about adopting to her new life, which turned out to be way harder than she imagined. When I first arrived, I started practicing yoga at a studio close to my house in the Netherlands, and I could not believe that I went there once or twice a week for many weeks, and no one ever talked to me. <laughs> like, where have I landed? I don't know. I've thought about this, I think, because I'm white and I'm tall and my ancestry is not Dutch, but it's Scandinavian and German, that if I don't open my mouth, I don't look like I'm a foreigner. And I think that actually has worked against me in some ways because people just assume I'm Dutch. I feel like, you know, if I moved to Rwanda, I would be like, obviously from somewhere else. And maybe people would be more welcoming or interested or curious about me. And I know now that very likely it was because they humbly assume that you aren't necessarily interested in knowing them or talking to them because you've got your own life going on. And because it's such a small country and people don't necessarily live very far from where they grew up. I mean, the furthest you can move is two hours away anyway. That you keep all of your childhood friends and your family and you're not necessarily looking for new friendships later in life to the same degree. And so I remember feeling really depressed about that. I remember thinking, oh no. And the direct comparison to that was this warm, totally community-driven yoga studio where I had kind of in many ways been buoyed in New York by, like having a place that I belonged and I felt like seen, heard, loved, appreciated, I met so many friends there. And so to go like week after week and I was like thinking if I would like make muffins and sit them, you know, on the check-in desk and, you know, offer them to people after a class, maybe will I meet people then? Like, how do I break into this? So did you do that? Did you try that? I didn't, but not because I didn't think it would work, but because I just didn't really love the style of the yoga studio in general. And also because I became pregnant. And I started doing a pregnancy yoga class at another studio where it was offered. The next town, not the town I live in, but the next town has a internationally renowned university. So there's a lot of expats that work there as professors. And there were a lot of other women from India and Colombia. And so obviously our shared language was English. And we also had this huge thing in common, which is that we had a baby growing inside of us. All women want to talk about that experience while they're going through it, especially the first time. 
But they weren't Dutch people for the most part. They were other people going through a similar experience as me. The yoga class wasn't the only setting where Jamie had trouble fitting in. You see, Jamie's pretty outgoing, but time after time, she got the sense that her bubbly personality felt out of place in the more reserved Dutch society. She came to realize that she often didn't understand the terms of engagement. Moments when it would happen is if there would be like a birthday party. And not that there aren't low-key gatherings of birthday parties in America and in New York, but I feel like there's a kind of specialness and intention, particularly for like a children's birthday party, let's say, that Americans would give. You know, it'd be like special cupcakes with flags on them and a special cake or there was a certain pageantry. And I couldn't believe it when I'd go to a birthday party that it would just be like almost as if nothing was happening. You know, someone would have made a homemade cake that wasn't that cute in my eyes. <laughs> so I just realized in that moment, like, okay, I think they might feel like I'm overdoing it. Like for example, when my daughter turned one, I went to the local baker and I had breastfed for nearly a year. And I thought, we're going to put a whole bunch of boobs on this cake. Like 150 little boobs all over the cake, right? Like this was a blasphemous request on my part to this local baker. She actually said to us, we don't normally do this, but. And I was like, she's one. I birthed her. Like we went through this whole thing. I'm definitely having a boob cake. And, you know, I made this whole like fresh flower garland thing for the house because it was a big deal. And I feel like in America, your child's first birthday is a big deal and you do put effort into it. And I think that probably was seen as over the top. There are distinct moments where I think people are like, okay, it's a little too much for us. Then, of course, there are the language barriers. Now, to be clear, according to some estimates, more than 90% of Dutch people are fluent in English. So basic everyday communication wasn't much of a problem. But Jamie still found things difficult. I just wanted to walk down the street and be able to eavesdrop into people's conversations. I wanted to be able to go into a bookstore and be able to read all the books. I wanted to just, like, shoot the shit with a stranger for a minute. I always want to politely ask if they're willing to speak in English with me. And I don't do that a lot of times when I would just like to engage with someone and be like, hey, nice shoes, or whatever, you know, the thing is, or where is this? Can you help me find directions? Because I don't want to ask if they can speak in English and I don't want to talk about where I'm from and I just want to have a moment, you know, that has nothing to do with any of those things. I mean, even with my husband's, He's not a native English speaker. So, of course, we have incredibly deep conversations because he has great English. But our reference points are obviously different. And, you know, it's interesting in and of itself to explain a term or an idiomatic phrase to him. But there's also a joy of we know what the idiomatic expression is. And it's not just saying that expression that's funny. It's like, how it came out and why it came out and like the intonation that you used and all of those things create this layered experience. I could just cry about that. I don't know why, but I guess it comes down to self-expression. I feel like I can't really express myself. 
Even if someone speaks really great English, it's great English that they passed a really advanced English exam for. It's not jargon. It's not under your breath, through your side of your mouth. It's like getting to joke with someone. There's this part of me that never gets expressed. And I feel like it's a great part of me. There were other issues as well. So many small issues that might seem trivial by themselves, but collectively added up to make Jamie's transition much harder than she thought it would be. Being a go-getter, that's a positive, accurate description of myself. I arrived and I was like, I'm going to learn Dutch in six months. I'm going to have built my community. I'm going to rock this experience. And it was like, you are on your knees, bawling your eyes out. That's what's really happening. You're not achieving all of these notions that you had of how this is going to be. So it's taken a lot longer than my go-getting self would hope for. And also, I think generally people would expect. You, you think, oh, the Netherlands isn't that different than America. It's really different. Now, on top of all those cultural differences that caused so many of Jamie's social interactions to get lost in translation, there was another important factor that made things especially hard. You see, Jamie's whole experience of becoming a new mother during a global pandemic meant she couldn't easily travel. So she wasn't able to return to visit her native country for more than three years. When she did eventually make it back to New York, which is where I met up with her, things felt particularly jarring. I caught myself more than 10 times over the last five days internally stopping myself from talking to an American because I assumed they were going to speak Dutch to me and deciding whether or not in a split second, do I want to ask them if they'll speak English with me? And then I'm like, Jamie, they're American. They just speak English. (laughs) She said it took her a while to adjust because she now viewed things from an outsider's perspective. Like, do you remember that love-hate relationship she experienced way back when she first landed in New York at the tender age of 24? Well, sitting across from me now in a park in midtown Manhattan, she said she was experiencing it again, except this time on an even grander scale. I've been like going through just a roller coaster of emotions. Like the first 24, 36 hours, I was just like, this is the worst place on the planet. America is evil. (laughs) And I just felt genuinely depressed for our future, for all of humanity. (laughs) And that being led first and foremost by America in all of its politics and celebrity and capitalism. But of course, there's the other side of the coin, which is the energy, the pure ambition, the outgoing friendliness. I asked her what it was like returning to the U.S. after being away for so long, and her observations surprised me. Two thoughts immediately came to mind when I first landed. One, which is, oh, finally, black people. There's no black people in my town in the Netherlands. And I was like, hi, guys. I mean, it was really stark. You know, it's like just people of color existing and that that's just normal and important part of my life. I feel secluded and, you know, isolated in some ways. And I'm aware of it in the Netherlands. And the other thing is, everybody's so fat. I mean, I am all for fat-affirming, fat-loving, all that, but that's just what I saw. And it kind of makes sense. I mean, I think 
if you just only live in America ever, maybe you don't see it. But if you go to other parts of the world and then you come back, you'll be like, that croissant is twice as big as the one in Paris, you know? And like everything is that. Every portion size of everything is that. So if you do that three times a day, 365 days a year, it's kind of no wonder. And on the other side of the ocean in the Netherlands, when I go to a grocery store, I'm like, why are you selling a tiny, tiny bag of oatmeal? It's oatmeal. Like, don't you sell this in bulk? Who buys a bag of oatmeal for three servings, you know? Well, because your apartment or your house is tiny. So there's good and bad. Another thing that struck her were the huge differences in the pace of daily life. It's like, it's cool in the Netherlands that everybody's so relaxed. But there's definitely a part of it. It's like, let's do this. Let's keep it going, people. Come on. Like, let's walk a little bit faster. Let's have a little bit more drive, you know? They just don't do that there. The other thing I noticed, and this is very New York City specific, is everybody's trying to be somebody. Everybody's trying to outdo somebody. It's so competitive. And I remember my husband, Pete, talking about the competitive energy coming off of me all the time. And I think for him it was very intense when he first met me. And I am a competitive person also, so we have that layer. But it was like everything I look at is trying to outshine, outdo, outsass the other thing and be more special than the next thing and being the best. And that's a term I use frequently. It's like, oh, this is the best. And Pete's like, why does it have to be the best? Can't we just talk about its general qualities? Um, on the corner of where I was staying, there's just what would be a, you know, a normal food place to eat. And it's like they have these transparent neon plastic chairs. It's just always that one extra thing to be like, oh, that place is cool because it's this, you know, or walking down the street and seeing the way people are dressed. And 50% of me thinks, go girl or go boy, like, you know, work that thing. But on the other hand, I'm like, do you really have to be so special? Uh, isn't it exhausting to have to try to be like that all the time? But that's the Dutch, like, getting inside of me, because their whole thing of, like, do normal, which is their sort of, like, unofficial motto of, like, be normal or act normal, which when I first learned that, I was like, I want to throw up. That's the antithesis of my entire belief system as an American and New Yorker. No. I am not here to be normal. I'd rather die than be normal. And now, looking at people, I'm like, can't you just tone it down a little bit? It's too much. And so I think what I have come to see and coming back is there is a middle path. Of course you're special, and of course you're not. Of course we should use our time in this one wild special life to do something meaningful. And we can also just be. Where's the even hand? I don't know. I mean, it's like moment by moment, day by day, you find that. And in seeking to chart this middle path, Jamie says she's become a very different person from who she was when she first arrived. How the Netherlands has changed me is inextricably linked to becoming a mother, being in a new relationship, and COVID, the pandemic. I will say I think the main thing, though, really is not trying as hard to impress. Just being one of many. A certain kind of 
humility and emotional reserve. I recently got married and I had my closest friends come to the wedding. And when they came, I was flabbergasted with how loud they seemed to me, how exuberant, how talkative, how to me, almost to the edge of like emotionally exhausting. And I think that I've changed. I've changed. They obviously haven't changed. I was that before. I think I've gotten quieter inside. Most significantly, her experience living abroad caused her to ponder deep questions about her identity. I never thought very much at all about being an American when I lived in America. And now I think about my nationality almost every day. Because every time I interact with anyone besides my husband, and even when I'm interacting with him, the difference of our nationality is part of the relationship. When I first arrived, I felt shy about saying that I was American and being judged, particularly in the Netherlands that is like a very progressive, open-minded country. I didn't want people to know because everybody was like, oh, Donald Trump is your president, what are you guys thinking? And people thinking all these horrible things about me in a certain way, like projecting onto me because of my nationality. And now having been back, I feel like I can just stand taller. Like, yep, I'm American. I'm American. There is no way for me to not be American and I feel great about it. Do I critique and feel troubled by our politics and so many other aspects of America? Yeah, I feel even more troubled than I did when I was here because I feel that I have less influence on being able to improve those things. But I see the good, I see the bad, and I am 100% American. When I was here, I went down into the West Village and I met this Colombian artist and she was making these t-shirts that said Amor Fati, which means love your fate. And I was like, I gotta have that t-shirt. My fate is that I'm American and I live in the Netherlands, and so love it, you know? It's like, let's talk about what's problem with America, and let's also talk about the problems of the Netherlands. Let's talk about it all. But I don't need to try to hide myself. And this journey Jamie's been going through has played an important role in how she's chosen to raise her young daughter. You know, it's sort of strange in some ways. It's like here, her mother is from New York and her father is from Amsterdam. And as we know, the lower part of Manhattan used to be called New Amsterdam because the Dutch people settled, (laughs) colonized Manhattan from the native people here. So there is an incredibly strong historical link between these two things, and she's in the middle of that. And that's kind of interesting because this historical relationship between the Netherlands and New York City impacted the entire planet. It was the creation of America, in a sense, which includes the transportation and enslavement of people, which the Netherlands, to put it lightly, facilitated, (laughs) and which my nationality manifested in all of its blood and mess. So that's the dark part of it. But I think the great part of it is to be a kid with two parents with completely different perspectives on what's possible. She's going to have been to America many times before she leaves home. And the kind of synthesizing work that I'm doing right now 
she's going to be doing, you know, bite by bite. And I hope it will in some ways be a much more fluid and easy experience for her. I mean, she speaks Dutch and she speaks English back and forth with utter ease. Her native language is being able to go back and forth between the two languages. She will be Dutch. That's weird. It's really weird that my child is Dutch. <laughs> so I'm going to have to do my darndest to keep some of that American effervescence in her. Oh, which probably won't be hard because she's very effervescent. I feel really emotional about this because my daughter, who's growing up in a very white environment because we don't live in Amsterdam, it's like, what of the American personality, but also what of America's history am I going to try to give to her and teach her? And how do I do that? I mean, one small step of that is that Amanda Gorman, the poet who performs a poem at Biden's inauguration, she also wrote a children's book, which was illustrated by someone else, but the words are hers. And it's about this moment in American history. It is about recognizing our faults and our past and about the hope. I think it's about the hope that we cling to and that we have to cling to um, and the work that is necessary. And I read that to her like every single night. <laughs> you know, she's doing that, so she, you know, is only digging in so much, but in the book, there's an illustration of a young black girl with a guitar and she's singing. And I think this is somewhat representative of Amanda, the poet. And she's able to detect that this is a guitar, you know, and music is being sung. So I'm finding my ways and explaining to my Dutch family, like, we're going to celebrate Thanksgiving in the Netherlands. But I'm also going to tell you, like, it's not Thanksgiving on Sex in the City or Friends. This is the complications of Thanksgiving. And I'm still gonna celebrate it because it's important to me and we're gonna go around the table and say what we're thankful for. And, you know, it's a deeply troubled thing. I think there's a level of integration of self that is synthesizing right now, which is there's the Dutch me and there's the American me. And I am now reminded of the specific American parts that I love so much and I don't wanna give up. And I also think more acceptance of the life I have in the Netherlands is my life. That's where I live. And I can come back here. I think there was a longing, such a deep, deep longing to return. And there's almost a one foot in, one foot out feeling of you're there, but you're always trying to get home. Now that I've come back, the longing has been quenched. <laughs> It's almost like I didn't quite know who I was when I was here, and I certainly didn't know who I was when I got to the Netherlands. And I think that's why coming back here has been so important and why I really need to come back on a regular basis for my own well-being. Just to have 10 days a year where I can just be me. That's Jamie Younger. She's the host of If You Knew Me, a podcast featuring personal stories of the inner lives of women. You'll be glad to hear that she's been making progress in adapting to her new home. She told me recently that while she still keeps in touch with some of the fellow expats she met at that pregnancy yoga class, she's particularly proud of the fact that three of her closest friends in the Netherlands are now Dutch women. 
Were you able to relate it all to Jamie's story, or have you ever experienced anything similar? Tell me about it by dropping me a line, or better yet, recording a voice memo on your phone and sending it to me at info at farfromhomepodcast.org. As always, you can find Far From Home on Instagram or Facebook, and check out my entire archives on my website at farfromhomepodcast.org. Until next time, I'm Scott Gurian. Thanks for listening. It's been two weeks since I got back from the States and had some time to reflect on the experience and being back home. And I guess the main feeling is that living in the Netherlands in some ways can feel more boring than sort of the hype and the drama and the celebrity and the money and all that stuff that is part of the American persona. But it just feels pretty balanced and sane and safe. And I guess at this point in my life, that is a super appealing thing. So I'm happy to be back and I very much look forward to my next visit to New York City and to the US, but I think I will probably (laughs) be part of the cohort of people who say, I love to visit, but I don't want to live there, which I used to scoff at that when I lived in New York City, but now I'm definitely part of that group of people who appreciates visiting that bustling, amazing energy that New York City is and really just wants to go home where it's quiet and peaceful and restful at the end of the day. Katie, one last time, if you liked that episode, remember to seek out the podcast Far From Home, wherever you listen to podcasts. Also, Tiffany and I made a very exciting announcement last week on a bonus episode. It's a once in a lifetime opportunity, actually. And if you're interested in finding out what it is, support the show for as little as $5 a month. You'll get two bonus episodes every month You'll be invited to occasional live meetups with Tiffany and me where you can participate in the show, and you'll get the satisfaction of supporting independent art. Go to patreon.com slash thebittersweetlifepodcast to sign up. There are links in the show notes or at thebittersweetlife.net. Talk to you soon. Bye. Thank you.